This message was recorded at Devoted, a Christ Central Festival for all the family. To find out more about Devoted, please visit devotedevent.org. For how many of you is this morning the first time you've been to this, this Life Zone series? All right, that's what I thought, most of you. <laughs> okay, so... This, this life zone is the kingdom in God life zone. My name is Graham Anz. I'm part of the Christ Central team. And the aim of this life zone is to explore what it is to be true disciples. And, and to be a true disciple is to be someone who influences and transforms the culture that we're in. That's what Jesus has sent us out to do. We're called to advance the kingdom of God That's not just about moving to a different town to plant a church or putting on lots of things in our church, all of which are great. It's actually about God using us where we are on a day-by-day basis. And for a lot of us, that place is our workplace. And so today we're going to focus particularly on our workplaces. But it includes also our communities, our streets, the gym we go to, the playgroup we visit, those places are all part of our lives. And although we're going to use the term work today, for some of us, we're not in uh, what we would normally think of as paid work. We're in voluntary work, or we're a carer at home, or, or we're a, a family member at home. Those things are all our workplace. And we have to see them as the workplace God has called us to. And today, Nikki Marfley is with us, and she's going to be the main speaker this morning, and I'm going to introduce her in a little while. So in Genesis 1, it says, God created man in his image and commanded him to rule over the whole earth, to multiply and to fill the earth. And it's good, isn't it, when your notes are the same as Jeremy's. So Jeremy talked last night about that is our calling. Our calling is to multiply and fill the earth with the rule and the glory of God. And we see it throughout the Old Testament that that is what our calling is. And then through Jesus, God fulfills what his calling has always been, and we get to live out what that calling is. You know, Ephesians 1 says, Jesus was appointed to rule over and fill everything in every way. He was appointed to fill everything in every way, but we as the church are the fullness of Jesus. So Jesus fills everything in every way through us. That's how he does it. And so our calling in God is to fill the earth. And that's how Jesus fills the earth. And that's his calling on us. We are, as Jeremy said, his image bearers. So where is the earth for you? When we're called to fill the earth, where is the earth for you? That's the question for us this morning. Where is our front line for advancing the kingdom? And for most of us, our front line or our chief front line is our workplace. So I want to read you some stories as we we go through just the first part of this morning. So Chris had just turned 60 and she was involved in her local church. And she had had arthritis for 30 years. Very painful, very limiting, very confidence sapping. And for much of that time, she had had hydrotherapy sessions at her local swimming pool. And one day she realized that actually this place was the place that God had called her to. A place where she knew the people, she got to know them over many years. And suddenly her whole view of her illness And how she was living her life changed for her because she realized that God had uniquely placed her in this place with this group of people in the hydrotherapy pool. And actually, what she was suffering with wasn't just about her being a victim. It's about what is God doing in my life? Well, God has put me in this place. And God is going to work 
through me in this place. And we need to get hold of that for us. Where are we? Because God has called us to love people with all our heart. He's called us to love God with all our heart. And he's called us to love our neighbor with all our heart. And the two things go together. And God's, Jesus defined, doesn't he, that our neighbor, in the story of the Good Samaritan, our neighbor is anyone we come across in life. The Good Samaritan was just going about life. He may have been going to work. He was on business. But we meet people in life. God puts people in our path in life. And Jesus said, we've looked at this before this week, we are the salt of the earth. We are the light of the world. And as we said yesterday, to be salt is not to be a little pile on the side. It's to be mixed into the whole. It's to be mixed in. We're not called to be a dip on the side. And that's one of the phrases I want people to go away with this week. We're not called to be a dip on the side in life or in society. We're called to be mixed into the whole. And one of those areas is the workplace. You know, salt is also a preservative. And it keeps things from going bad. And when we're in our workplaces, God puts us there because he can use us to change the culture of where we are. So I want to read you just a very little story. One or two of you will probably remember this story. I think Jeremy told it four or five years ago now. So Laura was a newly qualified teacher in London who started at her new school in a very difficult area and quickly realized that the difficult atmosphere in her school extended into the classrooms and into the staff room. And so she discovered that the staff fridge was full of food and drink. But each item of food and drink had a yellow sticky note on it. And the yellow sticky note said, this belongs to so-and-so, please don't touch. And there were lots of them. The fridge was full of them. And so she went home and she prayed, God, what can I do in this school? And God said, buy a large carton of milk and put it in the fridge and put a yellow sticky note on it like the others, but this one will say, this can be for anyone and everyone, please help yourself. Soon, all the other labels started to disappear off the food and drink in the fridge. And people started to talk about sharing their food and drink. Now, it's a very little thing, isn't it? But actually, God is able to move through little things. And actually, we can change cultures in places. And we don't realize we're doing it. We just, we just need to listen. What is God saying? As Jared encouraged us the other night, what is God saying? Will we be bold? You know, actually, salt was a very important commodity in the Bible, and they, they used it to mean a number of things. And actually, there was an Arabic saying which said, there is salt between us. You have eaten of my salt. And what it meant was, you are partaking of my hospitality. This is a cementing of our friendship. Salt was used as a symbol of cementing friendship. And actually, God has called us to be friends with people. He hasn't called us just to be colleagues. He's called us to be friends. And sometimes in our busy lives, it's difficult to feel we have time to invest in friendships at work. But God has called us to be friends at work. So I want to read you another story. In a laboratory complex where she worked, a lab assistant, we'll call her Louise, wanted to change the culture of the infrequent and mostly electronic communication between people who worked only a few meters apart. Anyone recognize that scenario? And so she decided to do something to initiate more of a culture of communication, relationship, and friendship. So rather than all the individuals from the different labs making their own tea and coffee at different times and quickly sneaking back into their place of work, she decided that she would organize communal coffee breaks. 
And so in the morning and the afternoon, she set a time. She brought in cakes, biscuits, tea and coffee, and she advertised it around all the labs. This eventually proved a huge success, and word spread around her laboratory complex, and people started coming at the set time. They started coming, and they started talking to each other about life, about work. And you'd be amazed, actually, how many work problems get solved when everyone comes together over coffee and starts talking about the issue, rather than sending each other sharply worded emails, as I remember from my, my own workplace. And so friendships were formed outside of just work setting. People became friends. But, of course, what happened was Louise eventually left the laboratory for another job, and the communal break stopped. People went back to their previous habit. And soon her, her ex-employers realized that morale was dropping in their laboratory. Did they look back and see what she'd done? No. They brought in a team of consultants and sent them all on you know, work-related exercises for building teams. And we think, and that's funny, isn't it? Because the reality is what it takes is chatting over a tea or a coffee and having a piece of cake. It's not about exercises. It's about relationship. And we are the people of the kingdom. We're, we're the people of relationship. And I think we have a head start. And we, we need to see that God has put us in these places to build relationships with people. So I read a statistic a few weeks ago that said this. Over 9 million adults in the UK say that they are always or often lonely. That's 20% of the adults. 9 million people are always or often lonely. That includes a lot of the working population of our nation. There are people in our offices, our schools, our universities, our factories, wherever you work, who actually are lonely. They come to work, they work, they go home. There's not much else in their life. They're lonely. And God has given them us. You know, God has called us to be light. He said, don't hide your light under a bowl. Our light is not just for church meetings. Our light is to be set on a hill. The church as a light set on a hill, isn't about our church taking part in a local big event necessarily. It's about you and I in our workplaces being light because we're the church. We're the church. And when we go into our workspace, the kingdom of God goes into our workspace. The DNA of God goes into our workspace. And so we are the light of the world. And we're called to have a prophetic calling to be light and to be truth to people. We're called to speak up and act in situations of injustice or to declare truth in situations of moral ambivalence. And we'll all come across these in our work setting. I want to read you another story. In Tim Keller's church in New York, there was a finance professional who had a situation in the investment bank in which he worked, where a deal was being discussed with a company which did things that he very strongly disagreed with and did not fit with his following of Jesus. And he didn't want his firm to deal with this company. He wanted to make a stand to speak into it. So he said to his colleagues, I will vote against this deal. But if I lose, I will work as hard, if not harder than anyone else, to make it happen. But I don't want any rewards from it. Obviously, he comes from a culture where bonuses are part of the, the culture of the company. He said, I will not take a bonus for this deal because I don't believe in it. But I will work as hard as the rest of you. Now, the question is, and I don't know the result of that, but the reality is, what are his colleagues going to think about who he is as a person? And what is it going to make them think about what they're doing and how they are and how they act? See, sometimes we're called to do difficult things as well as making tea and coffee. God calls us to stand. He calls us to be light. He calls us to speak truth 
in the situations that we're in. And actually, we need to trust God will stand with us. And actually, people will start asking you things. Why, why do you say that? What, what do you stand for? Actually, people want to hear. They want to hear us. They want to hear us be honest. And so we, we have the opportunity to have influence. The reality is we all do have influence in whatever setting we're in. It doesn't matter whether we're the person like Laura, who is the newly qualified teacher and therefore near the, the bottom of the, the pecking order as so-called in a school, or, or the head teacher. It doesn't matter what our position is. The reality is we do have influence because actually the way that we love people, the way that we speak to people, and what we stand for actually speaks into people's lives. I wonder how many of you remember the story of Naaman. Naaman, who had leprosy, we probably all remember that story. Naaman was told by Elisha to go and wash in the Jordan seven times. But if you think about that story, where did it start? It started with a young slave girl. A girl who was ripped away from her family in Israel by one of Naaman's own war bands and taken in slavery and ended up working in his house, the man responsible for ripping her away from her family. But actually his healing and his actually meeting God and saying, I want God in my life, came because she was prepared to stand up and love the man who she could have hated. And sometimes God calls us into situations where we think, why am I here? I hate my job. I hate my situation. I don't want to be here. I don't like this person. But God has put us there for a purpose. And while we're there, we need to say to God, why am I here? Why am I here? Why? What have you called me here to do? Who have you called me to work with, be alongside, and to befriend? Because actually God puts us in places, and sometimes we don't understand why we're there. But God knows. You know, God knew Naaman had leprosy. I seriously doubt most of the troops working for him had any idea he had leprosy because he'd been an outcast. But one slave girl, and the Bible doesn't even name her, she had no name, was able to change a huge situation. And we need to understand that that is God's calling on our lives. We are just a little cog, perhaps, in our organization, but God works through us. God works through us. And God is calling us our spiritual gifts in life. Yes, There are spiritual gifts God gives us in a church setting. But our spiritual calling in life is not just to bring a word on a Sunday morning. Our calling in God is so much bigger than that. And so we do want in Christ Central to change the culture in our churches. We don't want our church prayer meetings just to be about the list of things the church is going to do this week. However good they are. And hopefully they're all good. We don't want our prayer meetings to be just about that. We want our prayer meetings to be places where you, in your life and your workplace, are prayed for and sent. We are a sent people. We're all sent. And so we want to change the culture in our, in our church settings to recognize that we are sent and to be prayed for and to be released out and to bring testimony back into what God is doing. Because when we go out Monday to Friday, what is the church doing? The church is working in so many different settings. Or the church is at school or university or the church is at home as a carer. That's what the church is. That's what the church is doing. And so we want to try and change. And this, this seminar is perhaps the beginning of that. And uh, you'll, you'll know if you looked at the, the handbook that we're having a reception a bit later. And, and slowly over time, we're going to start getting together people in their work settings and talk about how do we support you in the places that you work because we're called to flavor 
the whole meal. We're not just called to be a dip on the side. We're called to light up the whole, the whole earth, not just have our light under a bowl. Okay, well, Nikki is here with us this morning, and I'm going to let her introduce herself and talk about who she is, but I'd love us just to welcome her. So let's give her a fantastic round of applause, please. Hello. Um, my name is Nikki. Uh, I live in Bedford. I'm part of the Catalyst. Uh, what do you call? Sphere. Thank you. Some of you will know by that that I'm fairly new to New Frontiers. Um, and I've previously worshipped at an Anglican church called St. Barnabas Church, um, which was um, linked into the New Wine movement. And, and before that, I actually worshipped at a Baptist church. So I'm one of those people that, you know, I'm definitely trying to say uh, you can worship anywhere as long as the word is preached and the spirit is present and there's love with an outward kind of focus. So um, I, I'm really passionate about today's subject and um, some of today is just going to be a little bit of my own story and then some of it's going to be some practical tips for you. So it'd be really great to figure out who we've got in the room in the sense of um, who here works in any sort of public sector type role, government, Right, great. Okay, I feel your pain. It's tough out there. And uh, really on you all this morning, I want to just release such a wave of encouragement to stand firm and keep going. Um, Do we have any church leaders here? Okay, a couple. So this is not irrelevant for you as well. There's everything that we're, we're looking at today is going to help you. And, and actually, um, just a word of affirmation to the church that I worship at, which is King's Arms Church in Bedford. Uh, when I'd first arrived there, um, I got an email inviting me to the leadership weekend away. And I looked at it and I really wanted to go. Um, but the truth was, I, I wasn't actually leading anything in the church. So eventually, I thought, well, I'd better confess. So I, I drafted this email saying, thank you so much for this invite, but I'm not actually leading anything. Um, yeah, and I, I don't know how I got onto your list, you know, but I just thought I'd better, better say. And the response I got back moved me to tears. And it said, you're leading a prison you're welcome. Come along. We'd love to have you. And they have released me continually to be leading and serving into the marketplace. And so I'm passionate about helping to encourage us all as we go. But I thought um, a good starting point, there's nothing on these slides you have to see today. So if you're right at the back or the light's wrong, don't worry at all. But this is the context of Woodhill. It's a high security prison. I'm currently the governor there, which means I'm the governing governor. And I worked up actually from being a prison officer nearly 20 20 years ago. Um, this is what it looks like on the inside. We have kind of three uh, l- layers, three landings, and we just call them the threes, the twos, and the ones. Um, you're lucky if you live on the ones because that's where the pool table is. Uh, but um, it's actually quite a nice open space. And as you can see, we've got kind of tables down here, and we've got guys that kind of, you know, the whole place is very open. So we're a modern prison, about 25 years old. Um, but because we're high security, we do always have to think about the risk of escape. These are actually helicopter wires that stop, or in effect should stop, a a helicopter-assisted escape. And there is quite a lot of kind of visual build, visual uh, prison-related fencing, barbed wire. And so, you know, when we sing any songs like we did this morning about break out the prison walls or whatever that song was that I'd not heard before, but my brother was kind of nudging me, um, you know, it feels like it's going to release something. And 
as we talk about bringing kingdom influence into a work, a marketplace culture, uh, or a marketplace um, uh, uh, career or employment or building or team, actually, that is absolutely where I'm at at the moment. Now, this picture is a great example of that. When I arrived at Woodhill High Security Prison, there was kind of two things that stuck out at me. When you arrive in the reception, and it sounds all lovely, doesn't it, in Bybee's town, like, you know, soft seating and, you know, uh, welcome, but it's into a high security prison. And so up on the walls where you might be going to your local doctor and it says, please take a seat and all this sort of thing. Nah, not a Woodhill. It would scream out, no violence. We've got zero tolerance to violence. And then it would say, drugs, not allowed. And if you do this, this is what's going to happen. And as I sat in this one room on this hard back bench, looking and imagining myself as a prisoner for the first time into prison, I looked at this wall and I was appalled. And it wasn't that anything on that wall wasn't true. It was that that is not the culture or the kingdom culture that I want to influence into Woodhill. And so on a crazy day, and I think most of the days my staff still kind of think I'm crazy, but now they know to go with it. Uh, We took them all down. And instead, we crafted this sort of poster, which was a picture that some of the, as one of the lads had drawn for us. But what was on my heart was to say to them, if this is your first time in prison, there's one thing I want you to hear. You're going to be okay. You're going to be okay. And so we changed all of this visual to actually think if this was my father or my brother or my son, what would they be seeing? And so when God brought me into the prison service, I knew absolutely that it was a calling. I knew categorically that I had heard from the Lord about applying. Now, I grew up on the mission field, and my story was one of wanting to go back out to the mission field, probably for all the wrong reasons, but I wanted to be a missionary. And there was a point where I felt God saying, but will you stay? Will you stay? Will you work in prisons? Will you, will you be my disciple on the front line of prisons? Now, have you had that calling? Have you had an inkling of, God, I know I'm meant to be here. Every Monday is a nightmare, but I know that you're calling. Or are you still looking for that? Because let me encourage you, as that kid said on the stage today about seeking for God and you will find him, you know, ask God, ask the Holy Spirit. And actually right now, I pray, Holy Spirit, that in this room, anyone who does not know the confidence of that security of thinking, even in the depth of all of this trouble, I know I'm in the center of where you've called me to be, to influence for your kingdom. I just speak over you in the name of Jesus that you will find that this week, that you'll find it now, that you'll find it by the end of the time of this seminar when you walk out in Jesus' name. And my own story has been peppered with God reminding me, don't move away. And the, the, the two times I've most clearly heard the Lord speak into my life has been about the prison service. And once was when I was very close to giving up. Um, and I'd been in the service for about um, four or five years at that time. And I was desperate. And actually, I was in the bath. And I was just thinking about things. I can't even boast that I was praying. I was just thinking. But actually, our whole 
uh, way of life, our thought life, should be one continuous kind of conversation with the Lord anyway. And I heard him say this as I was kind of just pondering. This is too tough. It's too difficult. I'm not doing a good enough job. I think I was about 27 at the time. I'm now 42. It's great being in your 40s. You kind of have got years of experience behind you if you've stuck into one kind of skill set. Take courage. Carry on. Uh, But, you know, when I was 27, I can remember thinking, I'm never going to get the hang of this. I mean, leading teams, it's a nightmare. And I still have a love-hate relationship with team leading. But most of the time, I love it. But at the time, I was thinking about walking away. And I felt God say to me, as clear as an audible voice, but it was into just my, my kind of mind. He said, Nikki, I have called you into the prison service to witness for me, not to further your career. And just like that, I thought, that's right. And I got out of that bath, a changed woman. And now I've always said it will take as deeply a word as that to get me to to come out of the the prison service. So um, that's kind of a summary of who you're listening to. But now I want to do is just take you through a whistle-stop tour of some of the practical things that will help you. I pray will help you with where you're at. These are things that have helped me. And this is one of the um, quotes that I absolutely love. John Wooden, who was a, um, a, a, a coach, a sports coach in America in the 1940s, said this. When opportunity comes, it's too late to prepare. When opportunity comes, it's too late to prepare. If God is calling you to Nepal and you think, well, that's 10 years away, don't wait till you're on the train or the plane to think about starting to learn Nepalese. Learn it now. Start learning now. If you're thinking about wanting to be a worship leader, I beg you, learn the guitar now. You know, don't put us through the distraction of dodgy chords when you're on the platform. You know, learn it now. Start now because when the opportunity arrives, it's too late to, at that point, think about how am I going to prepare for this. Chris Ballatin talks about being a thermostat or a thermometer. Are you a thermometer, which literally just kind of comments on the temperature of the room? It's, you know, too hot. It's too cold. Maybe there's people in your, your own teams like that. Or are you a thermostat that actually sets the temperature? And that really is what we're talking about today when we're talking about bringing kingdom influence into our workplaces. I do not want to just be one of those pious Christians that the world all thinks we are, standing there saying, well, that's not good enough. I don't like your attitude. What are you doing? How are you late every day? I want to be the thermostat. I want to be the temperature setter. I want to be the culture shifter plug for this afternoon. Come along this afternoon if you want to be that. But when we are influencing with the kingdom of God, it can't just be separate. It needs to be breathed out and lived out into everything we are because we are the aroma of Christ. And so there's two things that I want to just take us through in our time together. I'm going to leave 15 minutes at the end for questions. So if you have questions, um, uh, be be thinking about those and um, I'll give you a chance to shout them out. But there's two things I want us to think about when we're talking about influencing culture. Number one is we must, as Christians, as people who love Jesus, intentionally prepare the ground. We have to be intentional about preparing the ground. And then after that, we can start to courageously shift culture. So what do I mean by intentionally preparing the ground? Well, when I was 27, my grandfather gave me a book. 
And the book was called, Thank God It's Monday. And um, you can get this in the bookstore here. I absolutely commend it to you. Thank God It's Monday. And in my copy, he wrote this. My dearest Nikki. I know. And he said, I pray that this book helps you to thank God on a Tuesday and a Wednesday and a Thursday and a Friday, Saturday and Sunday. Phew. Lots of love, granddad. And do you know what? The truth is that it has. In 20 years, this book has been an absolute lifeline. And my original copy that I got that very day is now scribbled. It's full of underlines. It's about practicing gratitude. It has changed who I am. So that is the first thing, is practicing gratitude. When we're intentionally preparing the ground, we can't just lope along thinking, well, I'll turn up on time, I'll do my work, I won't be rude to anybody, and I'll walk away. No. We're in warfare. We're in battle. Now, I might feel that more readily every single day because I'm in a prison. But actually, if you're in a school, you're probably not too dissimilar. But whether you're a dentist, whether you're a CEO, whether you're a church leader, you know, we're in a battle. We're in the front line. And it is so easy to be tempted just to go the way of the world and be negative and whinge and whine. But if you practice gratitude, my absolute belief is it starts to usher in and it attracts the kingdom of heaven. If you do nothing else, From here, as you return back to work next week, starting point is to start practicing gratitude. And it ebbs and flows, but it lays this great foundation for joy in our lives. And people will start to notice, and you'll affect the atmosphere of where you are working. So how do I do this? Well, I make a conscious choice to listen to worship music for a part of my journey to work, and then to to shut it off as I'm turning down this one road every day, and in the quiet, start speaking out audibly the things that I'm grateful for. I'm grateful for this prison, God. I'm thankful that you've put me in a position of authority here. I thank you for my deputy governor. I thank you for the staff. Thank you for that positive press piece that we had. Lord, thank you for the challenge. You know, that's a tough one. But actually starting to think things through. And it's about intentionally approaching those those massive prison gates and saying... I worship a God that can just get through these gates like that. Fling wide, you ancient gates, that the king of glory can come in, right? What are the gates that you're building? They might be austere. They might just be a kind of automatic twirly door. Fling wide, you gates, that the king of glory can come in. And then start to practice gratitude further back. In your family life, if you're a parent here, you are a leader. You are influencing the children that God has gifted to you. How are you teaching them to practice gratitude around the kitchen table? You know, we lived in America as a family for two years. I was raised on the mission field in Indonesia. My father had left the armed forces and became a pilot with MAF. And so for the majority of my uh, childhood, I was raised in the rainforest of, of West Papua. And, um, and one of the things that we started doing as a family during that time was celebrating Thanksgiving. I know the irony. But what we did is we just celebrated the things that we were thankful for. And that's continued. And so as our Marfleet family try and get together every other year to celebrate as a whole the things that we are thankful for. Are you getting lost in the busyness or are you able to make room for thanking? 
and for gratitude. What does that look like when it starts to trip across into your employees or into your colleagues, your peers, or into your boss? When was the last time you said to your boss, this is something I'm grateful for? Because the truth is, my team don't often do that to me. And when they do, they prefix it with, um, I'm not trying to suck up to you, boss, but, right? I mean, shame on us. Just tell me what you're grateful for me for. It, you know, I don't think that you're sucking up to me. Just, just, you know, I could do with the encouragement. And, you know, when we are practicing gratitude, it's also about being proactive with silencing the naysayers. We're going to talk about some of that this afternoon. But this is biblical because Caleb, when he came back from Canaan and kind of scouting out the land, what happened? The majority of the spies came back and went, there's giants in the land, it's too big. But it says Caleb silenced the people before Moses. Good on him. Sometimes the courage within us needs to actually keep the naysayers quiet. So the second thing is this, prayer and some worship. When you are preparing the ground, think about where you are investing into yourself, um, both in terms of prayer and speaking to the Lord and listening to the Lord, but also some worship. I have found at the moment, the context that I am in is the toughest bit of my 20-year career so far. The things that have happened to me and us at Woodhill in the last year, two years, has been extraordinary. And when I say extraordinary, I'm not thinking bragging rights. I'm thinking extraordinarily difficult. If you Google, and please don't do it now because it will distract you, if you Google Woodhill, it's not pleasant reading. And everything within me and the world standards would say, walk away. Your reputation is at stake. Every time they get my name in the papers, I have a choice about what I do with that. And so as I've been living through this and just crying in front of the heavens, in front of our heavenly father, why is this happening? What's going on? In 2016, we were the prison with the highest suicide rate in this country. We lost seven men who took their life because they were so desperate in my care that they took their life. The year before that, it was five. And then I started prayer walking the walls and I said, not on my watch. This cannot happen on my watch. And the year later, zero deaths. Now, I thought we were home and dry. But the truth is, this year, we've had three deaths within 16 days. My heart broke. I don't even pretend to understand what that is about. But you know what? It reminded me that we're in a war. And some of you here will be in your own war and you will be thinking, I don't know what's going on. But you know, there is nothing that says that when we step out onto the field and onto the battlefield to take fresh ground, to take new ground, that it's going to be easy. And so I set myself up. Uh, this, uh, this playlist on Spotify called Battle Tracks. It's, it's open and public, so you can follow it if you're in need of some Battle Tracks yourself. But I'd, I was receiving some prayer at my church, and this girl just used that um, lyric from one of um, uh, Sean Fush. <laughs> I never know how to pronounce his surname. Uh, from, from one of his songs, which said, your weapon is a melody. And as she said it, and I knew the lyric, it, it struck home. And I went straight home and made this set list of, of battle tracks. And every single morning, without fail, as I get ready to go to work, I have this battle tracks playing throughout my house. And it's got things like, this is how we fight our battle. 
It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you, right? These will be familiar words to a lot of you. There's, there's a song called Lazarus. You know, there's nothing like actually, you know, giving a bit of a war cry when you're listening to lyrics about a man that came back from the dead that people thought was lost. Thou, O Lord, art a shield about me. God, be my shield today. When my enemies come against me, be my shield. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. There's another in the fire. This is my favorite one. Walking around these walls, I thought by now they'd fall. But you have never failed me yet. Now, that is a slightly dangerous song to sing when you're a prison governor because I would like the the prison rules to remain, but you get what I'm saying. And actually, when I went for my job interview as deputy governor, the whole way up the motorway, I was um, listening to the Bethel track, You Make Me Brave. You make me brave. You call me out beyond the shore into the waves. And, you know, I went into that job uh, interview feeling like the underdog. My uh, experience in the interview was fairly okay, positive, and I came out feeling, you know, hopeful, but not arrogantly sure. Um, and, and I got the job as deputy governor and I then got promoted later to governor, which is what I'm doing now. But my boss told me later that he had never intended me to get that job. He had looked at my paper application. He'd looked at the kind of stuff that I brought and he thought she doesn't have the experience. She's too big a risk. I hadn't done high security before, and this was a promotional move, so I hadn't done deputy governor before. And something about the passion and the authenticity about me sharing my story and wanting to work for him gave him the impression that I was worth taking the risk on. Now, do I think that that is just me working hard in an interview? No. I think it's about the Lord that places us into position to influence the culture of where we're at. And that does not mean that we are going to find it easy. So the third thing is this. Remember that you have to input to output. You have to input if you are outputting. You know, if you're a parent, you have to input some sleep and some personal time to output all of the time. Now, that's a heavy season, I know. But when you're working in a business, you have to input into yourself because you're topping up to then give out. And the way that I love to think of it is this pendulum idea. You know, this pendulum idea of swinging into worship, of filling up, of swinging into corporate sung worship on a Sunday, of swinging into reading our Bible, of swinging into listening to skill-based podcasts, secular skill-based podcasts, and then swinging out with all of that topping up, back out to serve, to lead, to, to, to witness, to be the best peer, to be the best employee that you can be, to get noticed because of your attitude of gratitude. I know it's cheesy. You know, to get noticed because there's something different about that person. And what are you doing? You're not trying to get noticed. You're serving diligently wherever God has placed you. I remember my life changing at a new wine event once where they had a a preacher from the States over called Robert Mardu. In fact, it wasn't new wine. It was Leadership Conference, which is an HTB conference in Royal Albert Hall. And he preached this message, which I can't remember anything of except for his strap line, which was stay in your lane. Stay in your lane. Stop comparing your story to others. And I can remember sitting there in the Albert Hall thinking... 
this is such a word for me. I've just got to stay in my lane. God has called me to this. I'm going to go. I'm going to race. I'm not going to be bothered by who's racing left and right. I'm not going to be jealous if they're coming in in front of me. I'm not going to be jealous if there's louder cheers from them. I'm just going to stay faithfully in my lane and run the race that God has prepared me for. And so when we're topping up, it can often also look like this, a water butt. I have just moved to Bedford from London, from a London flat to a Bedford house with a garden. I killed my garden year one because I didn't realize how much watering the plants take. And the lady who sold me a house would be devastated if she came around now. Half of her garden is gone. Uh, But now I know. And so now I've got water butts. And if you are giving out and watering your plants and then the water butt is getting lower and lower and lower and empty, you will come to a point where there is nothing left to give. And that's what we call burnout. So I, I would say to you, this is such a practical element of us wanting to influence culture because it's hard work. It's battlefield and you've got to top up to be able to give out. Now, how do I do that? Often I will do that in the spiritual sense, as as I've already described, but I'll also do it in a skill-based sense. So I will listen to podcasts. Um, If if you are in leadership at the moment and you are kind of scrabbling around, not sure what podcasts to listen to, um, there's a couple of good ones I I listen to frequently or most frequently. Um, One is Entree Leadership, which is Dave Ramsey's podcast. It's just called Entree Leadership. That's brilliant for entrepreneurs, but they do an awful lot of... um, Uh, interviews that are just generically interesting about leadership. Second one is Craig Rochelle's leadership podcast. Um, And the third one is John Maxwell's podcast. And fourth for a bonus, Andy Sanley's uh, podcast. So all probably familiar names, but try that out. Sometimes I don't have time to listen to a podcast. And so I hop onto Twitter and on Twitter, I'll always look at Forbes because Forbes do these great soundbite kind of quotes. And, and that's just sometimes all I've got time for. And I'll just think, well, oh, I'll ponder that way in my head for the day. Um, other times, I think, actually, I'm going to get an article or I'm going to buy a magazine, you know, Harvard Business Review. I can remember the first time I took that to the till, all excited in W.H. Smith's. And as it went through, he said, that will be 28 pounds, please. I, I, was, I was too embarrassed to put it back. So I have one issue. Uh, But actually, I've read it through and through, and um, somebody gifted me an an online subscription, and um, that has been something that I've just been gobbling up, gobbling, gobbling up, and taking time out to actually think through and practice and, and look at. But I moved under a prophecy into the position at Woodhill. You know, this is one of the things where I would really urge you to think about where is God speaking into your life about moves that are ahead. So before I went to this job interview where I was thinking about, you make me brave, you call me out beyond the shore into the waves, I'd been on a mission trip and my ears were pricked up because I knew I could feel myself coming to a crossroads. And and it was an American missionary who came across to me and said, "Um, could I... I think I have a word for you. Could I read this out over you? And then him and his wife were very apologetic. He said, I'm sure everybody reads this out over you. And I said, well, that's fine. You know, let's let's have it anyway. I'm in need of some encouragement. But this is what he read to me from Genesis 39. This is the story of Joseph, all right, when Joseph is brought into prison. And this is what he said. Now, he read it from the New American Standard Translation, which I've not come across before. But I was going for a head of prison job. And the language here jumped out at me, and he said this, the chief jailer, 
did not supervise anything under Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made to prosper. So I was going for a deputy governor's job, being interviewed by the chief jailer. And this was the prophecy that I walked into that interview with. Now, as you can imagine, my faith was high. And when I'm in my deepest, darkest times, and I'm in a season at the moment where my regular prayer is, God, I look to you because I don't know what to do. I promise you, you are safe. The, 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 the statement of purpose in the prison service is about keeping uh, you know, the public safe. So I do know what I'm doing, but actually I don't know what I'm doing. You get what I'm saying? You know, the, the, the system is so broken. There is not enough money to go around. Although Boris is throwing quite a lot of money at, at prisons at the moment, thank you. But, you know, there's not enough. And sometimes I get to work and I think I don't know what to do. And then I know that people are looking at me. And I've been walking into those doors, declaring truth, declaring, prophesying, this is going to be known as a house of joy. Woodhill is a house of hope. And yet I'm not seeing the fruit yet. And so what does it look like then to courageously shift culture? We've looked at how we are going to actually um, intentionally prepare the ground. Now let's look at courageously shifting the culture. Well, the first thing is this. Who we are on the journey is as important as where we're trying to get to or once we've got there. Who you are on the journey is where friends and colleagues and enemies and competitors are all watching you, not just when you get to the point B. You know, if you're moving from A to B, who you are on the journey is significant. Now, what does that mean when we're actually looking at how we are acting? Well, if you have big ambitions... And you're starting at this point and you think, I'm never going to get there. Who you are in the disappointments and in the encouragements is going to be key. In the Bible, it can feel like there's so many suddenly moments. We love the story. I love the story of King David. The shepherd boy becomes the king. Esther becomes the queen. I'm a royalist. Uh, You know, Joseph becomes appointed ruler of Egypt. Years of quiet obedience are often unseen, and we rejoice and we love the suddenly. But actually, the truth is Joseph was in prison for year after year after year after year. He thought he had a way out. He got forgotten. Finally, God called him out. David, after he was anointed, had to go back to the sheep field, knowing quietly that he had been appointed and anointed, but it wasn't the time yet. You know, it can feel often that we're being overlooked, And the thing that's really helped me through these moments is Colossians 3.23. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as if for the Lord. And I love those stories that Graham read out. You know, if you want more stories like that, get this book. Thank God it's Monday. There's a couple of stories in there that, that really helped me when I was 23 years old, when I was 27, and I got my first copy of it, actually. And um, one of them was about this... Um, uh, cleaner. She was a, a young woman who was cleaning an office block and um, uh, she became a Christian. And somebody asked her, what difference has it made in your life that you're now a Christian? And she got close to them and she said, I now sweep under the mats. You know, I love that. Nobody will have seen that, but she knows and God knows. And that's like the kind of milk in the fridge, right? Don't underestimate when you have a cup of tea and you've run out of milk. 
That's a wonderful way to start influencing culture, and I, I will take that story back with me. Another story, my own story. When I was driving through Highgate Village one day, and I was um, just waiting at a set of red traffic lights, and I looked out to my left, and there was this road sweeper, and he had his earbuds in, listening to some music, or listening maybe to a podcast. Uh, but, you know, he was, he was working away. But what caught my eye was that he was trying to get some leaves out from under these parked cars and he was really going for it and he wasn't abandoning it he wasn't doing the minimal of there's a car in the way I'll go around which to be honest he probably could have done he was working with all of his effort to get these leaves out and as I sat there and watched him I thought that's the person I want to be I want to be influencing kingdom into the culture of my prison, not by saying, well, actually, did you know I'm a Christian? And there, there is absolutely a time and place for this. But, you know, in my culture, in my prison, not wanting to say, well, I'm a Christian, so we're going to do it this way. I'm a Christian, and actually I'm offended by your behavior, and so let's do it this way. But actually, rather than that, thinking about who am I? How can I serve these people? How can I serve my colleagues? What does it look like to be a servant leader? Now, to me, it looks like making cups of coffee for the union meetings. To me, it looks like starting to say to staff team, you are of value. And actually, I'm going to confess something here. When I use the word value, what I mean is love. But for years, I felt I couldn't use the word love because I'm working in a majority male-dominated leadership team. And I didn't and I couldn't work up the courage for them to hear me talking about loving my colleagues and my staff team because I thought they would pigeon me as, mm, she's a girl. Now, I'm delighted to say, actually, I've been in now 20 years, and so I've earned my own reputation. I can talk about whatever I want, and so I do use the word love a lot more. And we're going to talk about that this afternoon. But, you know, when we are a Christian, we have to be obedient. And um, I've been listening um, to the Bible in the car quite a lot recently. I've, I've found it increasingly difficult to get some time in the Word in the morning because I have to be at work so incredibly early. And so um, I bought myself the NIV Bible, uh, David Suchet's version, on CD, and I just listened to it. Now, even on the way here this morning, two hours, I was going through Lamentations, Whew. and then I realized, yay, it's only five chapters, I'm through. Uh, and I, I have to say, um, I think, you know, um, uh, Jeremiah was actually, you know, pretty pretty heavy going, uh, but I've, I've made it through, and, and so now I'm in Ezekiel, and then next... Daniel, which is one of my favorite books. So I'm sticking with it. But you know, in Jeremiah, this wonderful verse about obedience. And it says this, for when I brought your ancestors out of Egypt and spoke to them, I did not just give them commands about burnt offerings and sacrifice, but I gave them this command. Obey me and I will be your God and you will be my people. Walk in obedience to all I command you that it may go well with you. And, you know, whether you're here as a worker, whether you're here as a leader, I believe that there is a calling on all of our lives to be obedient. And you have to wrestle that through when the ways of the world, when the, the kind of corporate context of your company might feel like it's getting in the way of what you've been called to be as the Jesus follower in that room. But I do believe that when we step into those rooms, the atmosphere changes simply because God has walked in with us. 
but you have to be obedient. When I was a worship leader at my Baptist church, and um, it had taken me all of my teenage years and into my early 20s to get onto the main stage. Let's not, let's not kid ourselves that that's, you know, where I didn't want to be. Um, and I'd faithfully felt that I had to um, just serve at the opportunity that was given to me. Um, and so um, I said to them, you know, I really want to be a worship leader. And I'd started practicing guitar. And, um, and so they said, great, come and lead worship in our kids group. Now, you can imagine, I was like, okay. And I wasn't thrilled, but I did it. And then they were like, actually, we've got a youth weekend away. Would you like to come and be? Yes, I would. Thank you. And then eventually I got to the point where my skill as a guitarist and as a musician singing and leading was to the point where then they said, actually, we'd like to start, you know, bringing you up and and you'll be leading um, on the main stage. And I loved it. And I knew that there was a calling in my life to be that. And there was this key moment where I felt God just saying to my heart, Nikki, would you give this all up for me? Would you give this platform up for me? And, and fortunately, I said, yes, Lord, I will give up anything for you. I'll be raised high for you. Or I'll be laid low for you, right? That's a sentiment, isn't it? And within a couple of weeks, I felt him leading me to leave that church and go and serve into this tiniest, tiniest Baptist church on the Isle of Sheppey. Where worship, you know, we're talking mission praise, and I love mission praise. But, you know, it had been a while since I played any songs from that. And, and I, I was taken out of this platform into this tiny little church with about 12 people, most of whom didn't know the songs. And a bass guitarist who once, I kid you not, played the entire wrong song through the whole of the song that I was playing. That's what it was like. And God dealt with my attitude so much through that period of time. And I was there for two years. And then he raised me up. I went back to an Anglican church in London. And I I was immediately invited to then lead worship again. I learned something from that about obedience. And this is the other one, character. You know, this is like that quote that I showed you at the beginning. When opportunity comes, it's too late to prepare. Well, that's all about character. You know, you have got to work on your character as a lifelong journey. We all do. It takes a lifetime because it's not inherited. You don't get it from your parents. Yes, they instill into us good practices, hopefully. But actually, our character is between us and the Lord. And so we start now. We start now. We invest into our character now before we're called onto the front line. And this is the last bit of it, is about love slash value. Love. What does it say in the Bible about love? Well, 1 Corinthians 13 says this, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in truth. It always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, always perseveres, and love never fails. Now, let's be brutal. How do you measure up against that list when your colleagues are talking about you in a 360? Right? There's a wonderful book called The Most Excellent Way to Lead by Perry Noble. And he basically deletes every time it says love and puts in the word leader. Now, hey... You don't need any other leadership manual except for that. I have cried over this passage more times than I can count when I've used it to measure up against my leadership with the teams that God has put me in charge of. A leader is patient. A leader is kind. 
A leader does not envy. A leader does not boast. A leader is not proud. A leader does not dishonor others, is not self-seeking, is not easily angered. A leader keeps no record of wrongs. A leader does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. A leader always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. And then I stop it there because actually a leader never fails. Hasn't proved to be true. So I'm going to finish there because I want to give us time to be thinking about um, how this looks in our own lives um, and to take a couple of, of, of questions. But, you know, at Woodhill, it has been really tough over the years. I've been there six years now between being deputy governor, I was then acting governor for a year, and then they gave me the job. So for two and a half years, I've been um, governing governor. And, and I am at the point for the first time in my life where I can honestly say, I am operating in a realm that is way outside of my own strength. I always thought this, this leadership stuff is fine. You know, I learn about it. I invest a lot of time into the skill of it. I pray about it. I'm fine. Even on the tough days, that's me being honest. But I am so way out of that at the moment. Every day I'm like, Lord, I need thee. I need thee how I need thee. Every hour I need thee. God, be a shield about me. Protect me. Defend me from my enemies. What is your situation? Where are you at? Plodding away in that school. Plodding away in that hospital. Walking the streets. Worrying about knife crime. Thinking about the finances and the corporate setting of investors and stakeholders. Where is your head at at the moment? How are you going to influence into the culture of where you're at? That might be buying a pint of milk. It might be writing a note that says thank you. It might be saying, I saw you. Thank you. I'm so grateful for you. I know your name. Maybe it's about just saying, actually, the common sense of the Bible. I'm going to spend some time thinking, what does this look like on a Monday morning? What does this feel like on a Friday afternoon? What does it look like when somebody comes to me in my office and says, my wife's in hospital? Do I tut and half and look like I'm, you know, engaging? Or do I actually say, have the time on us. You take as much time as you need. Would 10 days be helpful? How are you bringing influence and the kingdom into where you are? So um, if anybody has any questions, then I guess the best way to do that is just raise your hand and um, shout it at me. Great. So one in the middle, sir. Yep. Yeah, brilliant. Brilliant question. So um, as church leaders, how do we help those in our congregations in, in the marketplace just to keep going and keep leading? Um, well, so I spent years and years and years going to events that were labeled leadership. And then when I got there, I realized they were actually talking about church leadership. And so I spent years trying to pull out of those church leadership uh, conversations and teaching things that would be able to apply for me in the prison service. So the first thing I would say is address 
uh, confidently the whole issue of the marketplace. Get people like me to come and speak. You know, find people in your, your church who uh, have got a voice and got a message and get them into groups. So one of the things that um, has happened a couple of times that I've been to is um, events where they put on a breakfast and they say, actually, this is for us to grow as leaders because I bet most of the people here, you are wanting practical nuggets for how you can operate on a Monday morning wherever you are, which of course is true for our wonderful church leaders as well. Um, so that's what I would say. I, I love it when my, um, so I've got Simon Holly as, as my leader um, and actually he's offered to come into the prison, to see the prison, to get a grasp of some of the heaviness of what I'm leading. You know, he will often take time out or, you know, some of my other friends and confidence at the church will take time out to say, Nikki, you're on the front line. How is it going? And when I say, oh, it's fine, they say, no, it's not. We watch the news you know, and so they'll, they'll pull at me and say, you know, what is real? Um, and where people can't connect with each other because they maybe don't know each other, help them connect. Um, I love to go to leadership-based stuff um, where there's really um, a sense that the people are talking straight to me. And so if you can build that kind of approach into your um, your, your own church, that would be wonderful. Um, I went to Hope Harrogate a couple of months ago, and they, they do what's called a leader's haven on a Saturday morning. I think, I don't know if it's once a month or once a quarter, but then they have somebody come and speak and just talk about specific leadership stuff, specific marketplace stuff. Um, and, and, you know, it won't always be marketplace, but at the moment, you know, if you've got people that really need to learn from that, start feeding them, because how are they topping up to give out? And if you can't recognize in them where they're topping up to give out, um, you're going to need to help them do that. Thanks. Anyone else? Yeah, right at the back. Justice and excellence. Yeah, okay. So the question there, I'm sure you all heard it, but um, this idea of how do we honor our leaders in our workplace, but also um, still demand that kind of element of, of, of justice and also, um, I guess, you know, good practice and, and, and excellence. Um, you know, I haven't always been a governing governor. For 20 years of my career, I've been the person at the bottom. I've been the person in the middle, you know, feeling all of that tension. And um, I can remember a seven-year period where I was working for a pretty awful boss. And for some reason, he was loved by the masses right at the floor level. But, you know, working sort of mid, midway, I just, it was awful. And I actually took it to my pastor at the time. And his, his wisdom into the situation was, what if God has called you for the present to work under this person? Because it felt like he just put a ceiling over me. It felt like any voice I had about, could we do this? What about this? Oh, maybe change the wording on that, governor. You know, he would just be like shutting me down. And, and, and I, couldn't, I couldn't deal with it. And I was wondering if I should get out. And, and my pastor said, no, I urge you to stay. Sit under that authority because God puts people in authority over our lives. And it doesn't mean they'll always be Christians. And do you know what? As I sat there then for the next two or three years under his leadership, and it was painful, but because I'd had an attitude adjustment, I could see learning from it. And I decided I'm going to take everything out of this that I can learn and I can grow from. Um, and now as a governing governor, sort of 12 years later, that is one of the most growing periods of my life. And yet probably I didn't influence culture in a changeable way, um, which has kind of really stuck. Who knows about the eternal value? That, that, you know, sometimes is unseen, but I couldn't see any, any culture, but I was growing as a culture shifter. So I think in terms of honoring leaders, um, it's really interesting, actually, looking on Twitter at, at, at our world leaders, um, some of whom tweet quite you know, strange stuff at times. Um, but what I, what I have felt so challenged about is where um, some of our church leaders and everything I listen to at the moment seems to be saying, actually, 
honor the king, honor the, honor the governors, honor, I'm a governor, brilliant, you know, honor all of these people without saying, actually, you can get onto social media and just slag them off. And, and so that's the, every time I come to want to tweet about something in response, I feel just a check of my spirit. And the same can be true of our leaders, that when we are called to honor them, it, it, you can absolutely hold them to account, but you also need to find out whether or not they are in a receiving mode. Now, I've got a wonderful member of staff, but she does not know how to temper what feedback to give me. And so she just gives me everything. And actually, it gets my back up. And, and I've had to sit down and coach her and say, you know, not everything you think has to come out of your mouth. So, you know, if, if you, if you want to speak up to power, which is what she's trying to do, um, and sometimes she gets it absolutely spot on, but sometimes I'm just cross with her because I think you didn't need to tell me that. What was the, the point behind that? Because actually all it's done is discourage me. Um, and so look at your attitude, look at our attitudes for, for how we honor and how we feed back. And I think as well in terms of preparing the ground, really pray about that. Pray about the justice. Pray about kind of wanting to hold people to account. Um, and then try and make it an approach to every single day find one thing to send as a thank you to somebody. So there's this great um, company called Kiki K. Now, I'm, I'm sure many of the men in our, uh, in our um, midst will not have shopped in Kiki K. Um, but um, it is this wonderful kind of card shop and, and kind of quite girly shop, really, which I love because it's all about gratitude and mindfulness and things like that. But it's got this one box that came... Um, and I've got a copy of it. And on the front of it, it says, there's always something to be grateful for. And inside, all it is, is 52 cards that say thank you and 52 envelopes. And the idea is simple. Every single week, get into the discipline of taking a card out of the box and thinking, who am I going to encourage with this thank you today? Uh, we've probably got time for uh, two more questions. Thank you. Or you can go to lunch. <laughs> Okay, well, let's stand. I'm just going to pray for you as we finish then. Um, Graham, is that okay? Or do you want to do anything else? Yeah. Okay. Holy Spirit, thank you for being present here. Thank you for calling us to lead and to influence into the areas where you have placed us. And I pray now in Jesus' name that there would be a blessing on each of us as we go out from this room to advance your kingdom, to advance your kingdom with compassion and love and to forcefully advance with love. Right now, Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd place into everybody's mind the specific point or the specific person where we can influence and bring kingdom culture into our workplace. Holy Spirit, would you open our eyes to the things that we have just walked past day after day, shift after shift, year after year. Help us to see it with fresh eyes. Help us to look in that fridge with fresh eyes. Help us to see the colleague that's upset with fresh eyes. God, give us the time. Take charge of our diaries. Lord, remind us of the, the wisdom of your word. Remind us of the battlefield. And God, we want to be nation changers. And so I also speak protection over you, that as you advance the kingdom where you are, the Lord will protect you. He will be your shield. And as you put on the full armor of God, he will be your rear guard. 
The Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you and give you his peace. Amen. Go and enjoy lunch. Thank you.